Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. And now, join Kevin Hart as he dives into the minds of some of the world's funniest comedians. This is Comedy Goldmines with Kevin Hart. Welcome, world. Welcome to our new episode of Comedy Gold Mines, where we do what? Where we get inside the minds of brilliant comedians. And today, well, today I don't know what I can call this mind. I would love to call it a brilliant mind, but I don't know if I can. I definitely can say it's a different mind. I can say it's a peculiar mind. Honestly, man, one of my good friends in this business and a very talented, talented fucking guy, not just comedian, but all around fucking talented, good person. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Joe McHale to Comedy Gourmands. Joe, Joe, you can't make an entrance through a podcast. Yeah. No, Joe, you can't. Yeah. For all my listeners, Joe, Joe just hey, walked. You. He just Thank walked you. into frame. He's bowing. Yeah. Oh. No, it's, a, it's a it's a podcast, Joe. It's, it's great to be here. No, Joe, they, it's a podcast. Like, oh, literally, oh. Like, everything you just did was a complete waste of time. I'm so excited to tell you my little stories that you we had a pre-producer talk about. I got some zingers ready to go. We did not have a pre-producer talk about. That's what makes this podcast so fucking good, Joel, is that it's just real dialogue. It's organic conversation, and I allow these comedic minds to show a side of them that they've never shown before. That's what this is about, Joel. Well, I talked to somebody for two hours yesterday, and they said, do not deviate from the script. Okay, Joel. Kevin will get pissed. Joel, that's not, that's incorrect. He's already mad. That's, uh, that's incorrect, Joel. This is ridiculous. Yeah, Kevin, Kevin, I'm not, I'm, okay, you're right. I'm kidding. This is very casual. I'm just glad to see you. I'm a huge fan of In the Mix. <laughs> <laughs> and it's my favorite film of yours. You were amazing. What was it like to work with Usher? Tell me, what, I mean, what was it like? I, I just, is there going to be an in the mix there's too? Not, there's not going to be an in the mix too, Joel. You know that. That's a ridiculous question. Okay, you know I'm not doing it. I know. There, you can't top that. You can't, you can't do better than that. You know a funny story about in the mix, Joel? I had to have that part. I had to have that part. I thought that that was a career-defining role, yeah. and I had to have it. And I remember, I remember not knowing if I got the part or not, and running into Usher and really like cornering Usher, like, "Hey, man, I know you saw the tape. Nobody out there is going to do what I can do for this role, Usher. Like, can you make this happen?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, man. You know, this is like when he was." 
This is when Usher was Usher. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. Hand on the chest a little bit. We'll see. You know, everything's going to happen the way it's supposed to, baby. Yeah, soft voiced me. So he never yeah. gave you an answer. He was just he like. He never gave me an answer, but he's like, you definitely in the runs. Like, you know, in my mind at this point, this is a massive part. I need whatever I can. I'm trying to make it. Every part is a part that I felt was launching me into uh, into start. Right. And, uh, you know, little do you know. A lot of these parts are nowhere near what you think what you think they're gonna be. Yeah, a lot of these parts make it worse sometimes. <laughs> Joe McHale. Uh Joe, where are you from? Well, I grew up in Seattle. Have you been there? Mm-hmm. I have been to Seattle, Joe. I'm a fan yeah, of Seattle. Yeah, but hey, speaking of Philadelphia, when I was a kid, I lived outside of Philadelphia for two years. I was gonna say you didn't spend that much time in Philly. Well, you can hear the accent. No, I can't. You don't have a Philadelphia accent. No, we lived in uh, Haddonfield. Oh, shit. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, for two years. I loved New Jersey because you could trick-or-treat after school. Yes, very true. You have to wait until the sun goes down and it starts raining in Haddonfield. And then and then it snowed. It was beautiful. And my parents said, there's no mountains here. We're getting out of here. Um, how old were you? How old were you doing your, your stint in Jersey? 36. <laughs> No, Joe, that's you. Now, I'm saying how old were you when you were there, Joe? And, and Oh, you thought I was 36 yeah. now. God bless. <laughs> no, uh, I know you're not 36 now. Jesus Christ. Come on. Are you I'm looking at you. I see. Uh, I was eight. Okay. I was eight, and I loved it. Uh, but that's when I feel like Philadelphia was, my dad was like, I don't know if this is going to be a city anymore. And uh, this, it was when, you know, things were rough. And then... We got. We went to Seattle, which was even more depressing at that time. Um, but Seattle for you, I mean, look, as depressing as it may be to some, Seattle's a beautiful city. By the way, we we know why the the tone of depressed is always attached to Seattle, and that's because of the rain. I mean, goddamn it, rains. Yeah. It rains so much, and a lot of uh, what what are they on in Seattle? What's the drug of choice there? Heroin. Heroin. It's big, big heroin. Yeah, that really came in great in the '90s. It really yeah. put us on the map. It affected our music. Uh, I know you were a big fan of Soundgarden. You talk about it oh all my the God. time. What are you talking about? I mean, is there anybody bigger? Come on. Well, Nirvana and Pearl Jam, but uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> do you wait when you play there? What what venue do you play? Do you play like an arena? Yeah, I do the arena there when I go there. Yeah, I've never done the arena. That's in Seattle. That night, no. Really? I do like Chuckles Comedy Club near the airport. Still, what about now? You crazy, Joe? Coming back to Seattle, the return. By the way, you can keep that. The return. The return? Yes. Joe McHale. I, why can't we talk about is there going to be a sequel to Night School? Because <laughs> I don't want to talk about I don't want to talk about this is This is a podcast for you, not about me, okay? I, this is for the people to understand you. Don't boomerang this. I just feel it's really great that you are expanding into more dramatic roles and... You know, when I saw the upside, I was like, man, they found a wheelchair that Kevin can look over. Okay. And All right. that's, uh, above that's a lot. Brian's that's head. A lot. And you're like, that's a, that's a fucking lot. That really is a lot. Is that? That's a lot, Joe. Was that too many in a row? No, that's, this is why I love you because they're always good. They're never bad. Uh, here's my question, Joe. Is it one Joe? Is Joe from a family of just you? Or is there more? Is there more personalities, more more funny minds around you? Any siblings? Oh, I mean, do I, do I have like a disorder where I have multiple minds in my brain that are telling me to kill? Or 
or brothers and sisters, Joel? Do you have brothers and sisters? Oh, I have uh, a mom and dad and two brothers. Uh, my my dad is a very funny man. Okay. Uh, the poor guy had three sons, uh, all within uh, six years of each other and okay. um, four years of each other, excuse me, and uh, Irish twins. And um, his nickname for us was Jerk. And it wasn't individual. All three of us counted as Jerk. Just like the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit all are God, right? He was just like, jerk! And then we would all come. Now, what's the, what's the separation? You said you're, you have two, you say Irish twins, but I mean, how, what's the separation of age? I guess uh, 20 months for one. Okay. And then uh, the other is just over two years. So uh, one's an electrician in Seattle. Okay. He works uh, for the Seahawks. And, uh, and I'm like, how was your day today? And he goes, I didn't blow myself up. <laughs> and I'm like, great day. Like you think about us, we're like, I mean, for you, you're like, will my private jet have the sparkling water that I ordered? What the fuck? And then, and like, he's just not trying to get blown up. And then uh, my little brother is an Episcopal priest in California. Yeah. But it's an Episcopal priest, which means he can be married and have sex with his wife. And they have a lot of sex. A lot of very, and she's a minister. So think about how ecclesiastical their sex is. By the way, by the way, what's even better than that is, you know, you, the funny side of it is you having a priest for a brother and you being the way you are. I mean, yeah, your humor definitely doesn't turn down. So your brothers know who you are. They accept you for who you are. Um, and they've dealt with this side of humor for quite some time. The transition to comedy for you, though, to them was what? Was it something like that they supported or was it like, what the fuck are you doing, Joe? Oh, they had no choice. Uh, we all had some, well, my brother and I, older brother had learning disabilities and my younger brother was the smart one because he could read and uh, the, the priests. And so my older brother and I, we were like dyslexic and uh, ADHD and uh, my dad's dyslexic. My dad's dyslexic and he still won't admit it. It's great. He never took the test or anything. Just never did. There were, yeah, there wasn't really tests. They just, well, and there wasn't tests when I was a kid. They just told me I was slow and I'm not kidding. They said I was a slow starter. And I was like, what is that? What, I, so you were never tested. They just diagnosed. By the way, by the way, that's kind of how they did it back then. Yeah. There, there weren't any like real exams uh, no. or anything that you had to take. They kind of just said, no, nah, you... Your your kid's not doing this fast enough. Right. He's gotta he's gotta be said thing. And they just slapped it on you. Right. And he's got and they always go, You should we should hold them back. That's what their big solution was, was just have him redo the grade instead of like, hey, he's he's got his shit together when it comes to everything else, but maybe there's something we can do to help him read. They're like, nah, just have him do second grade again. He's just not processing this. Nah, it doesn't matter. He needs to do the whole thing again. Yeah. For you as a kid, you know, at that time, I mean, for you and your brother that was going through the same thing, did that affect you at all? Or were you guys just rolling with the punches? Oh, yeah. It turned me into an actor, which, you know, (laughs) is the most insecure, the most insecure people on the planet. Yes. Okay. Because if you you know, like you feel pretty good about yourself, but if one person says, "Hey, man, um, I didn't like the Secret Life of Pets," you'd be like, "But what did I do wrong?" And and then uh, did you like Secret Life of Pets too? That was worse. And then you're like, ah! And you know, one little poke, and actors just fall apart. I do at least. And uh, so I just cheated through everything. 
I can't spell a word still. I cheated through high school and college. And uh, all the whole time I was just like, well, school's not a thing for me, but I love sports and I, am, I love acting. So I'm gonna do that until the bad acting police arrest me and make me get a real job. I love, I love that. I love A, that you're so open about it, honest about it. You know, when my, my son was younger, they tried to do the same thing to him. They tried to like just say um, that he wasn't processing information um, as fast as the other kids. And I was like, mm. it's school. What are you talking about? He don't want to be here. I said, that could be the thing too. I said, it's not a video game. It's not exciting. Yeah. So when you're saying he's not participating in class, I was like, he don't want to be there. That's not, it's not rocket science. I was like, he's not slower. He just don't want to do it. Yeah. So we'll tell him to do it. And then he'll probably do it at an average level just to get by. But that doesn't mean that he can't do it. Like I had to, I had to literally tell the school um, that my son was a kid and like make them understand like you do know that kids don't love to go to school. You do understand like there is a side of children that just don't want to be here. Right. Right. And then, there, oh, but there's one girl in the front row. She's so happy. She's in there. She's nailing it. And lock the fuck yeah. in. There is I, like just motivation alone. It, that's there's so much to be said for that because so many kids are just not happy. Were you ever scared? towards the end of the road in school about what you were going to do? No, in seventh grade, I figured out that I was going to be an actor. I was like, that's what I want to be. Wow. That's what I'm going to try to do. And even when I got to college, this little voice in my head, I would like sit and pray. And they were like, voices like, hey, you're supposed to be an actor. You're not supposed to be doing all this stuff. And I was like wow. trying to be on the football team and and uh, doing all this stuff. And And then finally, and then I, I got a job on a TV show in college. And I was like, all right, I'm quitting football. I'm going to be on this show. And that was kind of the beginning. And that's why I was able to be on basic cable for almost 12 years. <laughs> basic cable. That was like, it was not part of the premium package. You, I would say this, right? I would say the thing about you, Joe, is like there's a, there's two different versions of funny. You got the uh, you got the funny that's kind of forced, learned, and then you got the funny that's natural. You you are a natural funny. So you saying that you kind of knew, um, and when you say acting, I mean at this point, are you talking about the world of art behind acting, or you just knew you wanted to be in front of the camera? Well, it's first of all, it's very uncomfortable to hear you compliment me. Uh, and because I feel like our relationship is just filled with insults being flung on either side. And then when you compliment me, it makes me powerless. It renders me <laughs> mute. Uh, I, I, so I don't know how to respond because I want to go like, hey, I really love the wedding ringer. And you were great as the ring bearer because you were the right height. <laughs> And I can't do those jokes when you compliment me. Uh, so uh, what am I saying? I'm, so I, I was in plays and I, in high school, I got an agent and I got headshots and everybody and their mother was auditioning for Twin Peaks because it was shot in Seattle. And uh, there was a couple other TV shows, one called uh, Northern Exposure. Oh my and, God, I remember that show. Yeah, it yeah. was these... And I tried like hell to get on them and I couldn't. Uh, but uh, my whole thing was like, I'll do 
anything. Mm -hmm. I just want to perform. And I started doing improvising. I started at an improv, like a theater that just, it was uh, all theater sports and stuff like that. And so- I was gonna say, in Seattle, they didn't have like uh, comedy troops and, and stuff like that. They had, there was a very good improvising, like, uh, scene like the like I did not do stand up until after I started the soup, so I didn't participate in that really. Really? Yeah. Wow, Joe. I thought that you were. I thought that you were a stand up first. No, I didn't know that you started after. No. How, how late? Well, I don't want to. I don't want to jump far too ahead because I'll get there. And as you'll see, Joe, I'm really fucking good at what I do, like in this podcast thing, in in the journey of discovery and who the fuck you are right because it's not about me it's for the listeners you really are incredible and i think your best role was in meet dave <laughs> i thought you were amazing and i was like that's eddie murphy's brain and he's in his brain it's crazy he's he's doing stuff in eddie's head i was like that, that's he's in his brain and it's a his name's dave and I was like, is that that Dave with Kevin, that Kevin Klein movie? No, 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 it's a different Dave. That one has the word meat in front of it. I auditioned for that movie. I auditioned for that movie, and the director's note was he tanked the second audition. Uh, <laughs> that hurts. Okay, so, so you got your fucking career figured out. You know what you want to do, but your brothers don't. Right? They didn't at that time. No. So how did they feel? I mean, were they supporters of, of the world of Joel and acting? Were they on your side? They were They were supportive. It was everybody else that was murmuring behind my back. Mom, dad? My mom and dad, they they were like, a, it was like a, like a arm's width length of support in the beginning where they were, um, they were like, that's nice. That's great. Have you thought about getting a real estate license? Okay. And I'd be like, I, uh, no, I don't think I'm going to be good at that. And uh, but they then they saw me in a play, and they were like, "Hey, you're you're not terrible at this." And my mom was very like she she helped me like get. She was like, "You should definitely do this internship." Uh, but everybody else, all my friends were like, "You need to go to law school because when you get done with that, if you don't become a lawyer." You can get more money at this company. You can enter, you know, have an entry level job that's paid more. And when I would hear that, I thought this, I just would love to live in a tent uh, and drive around like Jim Carrey did with his family in a van somewhere in Alberta. And uh, figure it out. Yeah, I was just like, that seemed impossible to me. Uh, and so what, because did people think you were crazy when you were like, nah, I'm going to. Just gonna go stand on stage and tell fart jokes. That's how it's gonna go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think nobody, nobody believes in the the comedian until the comedian starts to do things that people go, "Oh shit, I can't believe you did that." Or, "Hey, I saw you on." Or his shows are now at. Right. Nobody believes in the guy that says, "I want to be funny for a living." Not in the beginning. I'm trying to think of a think of what other career if you don't have any credits and you say you're a thing right there's almost zero respect and then as soon as you get on something then they're like we know him yes yeah there, there's nothing there's nothing that comes close to the world of stand-up comedy no the the world the world of comedy and the journey that that individual has to take to become somebody is one with a lot of disrespect in the beginning because the new comic is not treated great no, 
not at all. They're just not. They're, they're not treated great, you know, from from where you got to go perform, from how you're paid when you perform, from the road gigs, how you get to the road gigs. You know, there's a lot of fucking struggle before you get to the smallest of smallest win. Yeah. There's a lot of struggle, right? And, I mean, you're talking about stand-up comedy after, so you actually had a win before. At least you had some financial security of some kind, right? Because the soup, how you were on the soup for, for how long? You said you started it. 2004. So at that time you were on the soup for 12 years. Yeah. And then, and then he decided to shut down the comedy brand. Got it. So you're saying you started after, okay. I'm thinking. I, well, for, I was in Seattle in the late nineties and I was on a television show there called almost live, which okay. actually was on comedy central for a while, but I was not on that part. And it was a very, uh, I mean, unique show in that it was a uh, on a, at an NBC affiliate, but it was local. So we mm-hmm. pushed SNL to 12.05. And before that, a local sketch comedy show came on and it was a big, huge success in Seattle. And I came on very late in its run. So I went from college to getting on this TV show, which was massive. That was a huge, that was a grand slam for me. And that overnight, practically, I started appearing on the show and all of a sudden, the res- like the thing I'm talking about where people are like, you're going to be an actor, you're going to run, you're going to have, you're going to be in your little community theater to what are you doing tomorrow? Would you like, would you like a free meal? And um, wow. like literally restaurants would give me free meals. I'm like, what is this world of people? I mean, it was, I was so happy. And uh, then I went to acting school because I was like, I know I can't do this forever. I better go to acting school. I did that and the show in Seattle at the University of Washington. And then I dragged my poor wife down here in 2000 when you were, uh, I think, well, you were, you were just five, you were, you were five, four at that point. You were pretty, well, you're still growing. I'm still five, four. So oh, that's, I get what you're doing. I get what you're doing. Nothing's changed with my height. Oh. Nothing's changed. I just it's a fucking Yeah. It's fucking very sad mm. that you would stoop so low. Well I get what you're doing. It's ironic that you say stoop so low because you don't need to. Um, okay. All okay. Right. I'm That's sorry again. I know That's that two. it's fucking two in a row. Okay. So so then I'm so sorry. I can't help myself. But I wanna say get hard definitely needs a sequel. Uh and I, and I don't, I want to hear about real husbands of Hollywood because that, to, when I heard you were back on that, I was just like, cha-ching, yeah. And I was like, if you look at that list of guys and you, then you see Kevin's face and you're like, where does that money go? It goes to him. He's being paid. It's not Robin Thicke. God bless him. I love Robin. Kevin's getting all the money. Oh. And Kevin's like, that, Kevin's like, that is true. That is is true. All right. I want you for my listeners. I want y'all to understand. Like this is our real relationship. This isn't. This isn't like today. This isn't just for now. This is what the fuck we do yeah. nonstop. Literally every encounter. Every every time. Every time we see each other talk. This is what it is. It's, it's the best. When we did when we did your game show on E just to get your wife laughing at my jokes about you the best. I, I've never been happier in my life. Bro, she's a fan and I had to explain to her what you do. 
He was like, he was like, <laughs> he was like a large white man yeah. who somehow has more hair than he used to is she going to be made. She thought you were the Rams coach. She thought she thought. <laughs> Sean McVay's gonna be on the show? No, no. No, that's not no. It's Joe McHale. She's like, oh <laughs> that's great. What's he been in? Oh okay. That's great. John Stewart is back in the host chair at the Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on the Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? (coughs) Or just a horrible accident? (coughs) That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane (coughs) and come home under the plane, (coughs) you've definitely gone on a Slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags, because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. How the fuck you get to L.A.? So you just randomly decided to move to L.A.? I said, I have to try it down here. And I said to my wife, who still loves the Northwest more than anything, and I was just like, I need five years. And if after five years, it's not happening, I will go back, I will get my real estate license and uh, I'll get my Starbucks card and I'll, and I can walk to, you know, I'll, we'll go back and year four, uh, well, I had booked a small role in Spider-Man, which I shot in 2003, no agent. And then- uh, This is crazy, Joe, this is just all hustle. This is is all just- I could not get any, I couldn't get an agent at all. And then I finally got a commercial agent God bless this company called AKA Mike Abrams and Doug Eli. They, they gave me, they made, I got, I could book commercials. And so I started booking commercials. That was about two years in and I couldn't, I still couldn't get a regular agent to, to send me out. And I thought, I guess I'll just be, my goal will be the, to be the greatest commercial actor of all time. That was, I was like, well, this is what I'm going to do. And then I booked the soup because Annie Roberts, who was the booker at E, which I'm sure you've come across a couple times, mm-hmm. and she kept she saw commercials and kept bringing me in for like um, best week ever and celebrity oops and stuff like that and these little specials where the comedians would go, I I, I saw that clip from that thing and let's make fun of it and then yes. I booked the it was it wasn't even I did those by the way I you did, did those yeah like. Uh, 
like you're saying, it was the best week ever or uh, craziest things of, yeah. of 2000 and like uh, years greatest, blah, blah, blah. You're yep. just doing a recap and the comedians are basically giving their, their feedback on what happened during the right. video. Yes, I did those as well. Big hits for me at that time. And yeah, it would be like, what did you think of the thong song video? And then it would be like, well, I wear my thong, you know, and you'd make a comment and I did those and couldn't get in. Then I booked the soup, which was never like the, the answer to talk soup at that time. And I had no agent. My friend Jason Burns from high school was being, he, he, he worked at Gersh and he was an agent. He's like, yeah, we can't represent you here because nobody will be excited about you. You, you have, I'll just hip pocket you and try to send you out, which was so good because he was so honest about it. He's like, nothing will happen if you get here because you have no credits. I'm like, okay. And uh, then the soup happened and no one watched it for a year. We sat every Friday night at 10 o'clock trying to make ourselves laugh. And because it was, I hired a friend from high school and I, his name's Dominic DeLeo. He appeared on screen all the time with me. And then we just fucked around, but it got, it was getting enough of a number that, and it was so cheap because me and a curtain and a camera that they were like, all right, fine. And after a year, all of a sudden it started working. And then Gersh called and we're like, they were like, we'd like to take you to wow. lunch. And I'm like, Oh, wow. Whoa, wow. I mean, yes, I, then I got to the lunch and I had been paying them commission because I've been paying my friend. And to make up for that, I or because they hadn't been sending me out on anything else, I ordered an $800 lobster. And so with eight agents and I was just like, what's the most expensive thing on the menu? They were like, we have an eight pound lobster, it's 65 years old. I'm like, kill that and bring it to the table. And this huge lobster I was just like I was like what's your most expensive wine they're like we have an opus one from 1978 bring it bring it and these agents were looking at me they were just like what the yeah it was great so then then I got an agent and uh and and the soup started working and that and that's uh that's that's kind of how it started because I knew because all my actor friends were like I would never do a show on e like that I because it would it would kind of dilute being an actor, but I'm like, Greg Kinnear ended up with an Oscar nomination and he started doing it. And soon as I, people noticed I was on that show, instead of going out for the third best friend in a pilot, I all of a sudden was getting like, oh, you could, the lead in the pilot auditions. I wasn't booking them, but I got those auditions. And so that's how that kind of went. You know, it's crazy, Joe, is like, you know, listening to you talk, man, listen to the story. I didn't, I didn't know, um, I didn't know how crazy the journey was. I didn't know how how independent, um, you know, the work the work was that you had done to get you to the opportunity, right? Mm. And what what I find is that man, in doing this and talking to to all these comedians, it's crazy because none of the stories are the same, but they're all similar. Yep. Like the crazy struggle of how is so intriguing. You just find yourself listening. And disbelief, like we like, look, I said, fuck it. I moved from Seattle. I get to LA. I tell my wife, this is the timeline. I mean, goddamn, I gotta figure it out. But shit, I'm not. I'm getting commercials. By the way, huge win. Huge fucking win because you're 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 at least in a place where you can feed yourself, right? Like you're you're making some money, right? Like that's yeah. which is which is very dope, but 
it's a bittersweet because it's not doing what you want to do and you're still trying to get to what you want to do. Right. And the hustle of, oh, I got Spider-Man, which was crazy. I just got that and I didn't have an agent. Then I, I did this thing. My friend was there, so he was just kind of helping me. But then I get the soup and that was basically nothing yeah. for a year. Then it started to become something. After it started to become something, it was one of those things that that became a part of your night, whether you wanted it to or not. Because when you would flip channels and you got to the soup, something about the soup kept you there. It's another fucked up moment where I got to give you a compliment. It was, we're talking before the world of ridiculousness. We're talking before the world of Tosh. Um, you know, we're talking like the first to really grab the world of what the world is doing, what's internet friendly and what are we playing back that happened and what are we commentating on? Yep. You were the first real, real host attached to this type of IP, right? Like it wasn't, it wasn't really being done at the level that it is now. Um, and it kept you there because it was fucking funny. Looking at that now, do you realize that now that like you were, that you were like first to fucking market? Uh, with the time, well, we were like, we're just standing on the shoulders of Greg Kinnear and John Henson and Aisha Tyler and Hal Sparks. Cause we were like, well, they kind of came up with the format, but we, we did it instead of doing it daily, just about talk shows, we did it about everything and it was half an hour once a week so it was a real wrap up and and people forget that it was now that it's a while ago but it was the open frontier of reality shows it was just as they were beginning and you got your you got your rupaul's drag race the early version which was nothing like this one whitney being bobby brown was a an insane show you had britney spears and Kevin Federline just walking around with video cameras, and that was a show. And uh, the, and so we were yeah, Paris in the beginning, yeah, too. and Survivor and Extreme Makeover yeah. Home Edition, yeah. And they would just be like, "We're gonna do one called Naked and Afraid, and we're just gonna drop it." And so it was like Bear Grylls started. It was Steve Irwin was still around, and it was just this open. I mean, Flavor Flav's Flavor of Love was wild. I mean, a woman took it while walking up the stairs and by the way you got a whole season right there flavor flav cracking the crab and eating the crab on live tv until this day until this day joel may be the best television i've ever seen in my life flavor flav is eating a crab with no conscious to how to how disgusting he was being that the sound I mean, if you just had the sound alone oh it was so oh my god oh yeah, my god about, like he was alone. a huge tv star he was he was like the flavor of love then it became the surreal love with he and brigitte nielsen just had that you know it was huge it was huge huge that was the time. I mean, you, you're, you're saying it, but like to the listeners, like this was really, as Joe just said, the beginning stages of all of that, of that, of that reality whirlwind. Yeah. Um, it ends. The soup ends. Fuck. Soup ends. And it, it's, it ends quickly. Because it's, ironically, they, uh, I mean, that's 2000 and 
15 is when it ends mm -hmm. and or 16 and uh uh it was i had just signed a new contract and then they ended the show three months later and then uh here's something i haven't ever said but he didn't realize that they had guaranteed my contract and wow. so it, the good news was like all right well now you got to pay me wow and they were like but they didn't know that it was guaranteed they had overlook that wow and uh that was what really the fuck is with you striking gold and luck on the money train that work that look i don't even have close to the kind of money you have but i mean i wish i had you have my money in a bowl in your front room for <laughs> bus tokens basically <laughs> and uh but that worked out i mean it was just good the the e-comedy brand died because chelsea left and sadly joan died and then the Writers Guild came down on on E, which they should have because there was technically no writers. Everyone was a producer. And so they could repeat shows forever. And then um, when, when the reunion came in, you had to pay for every rerun. So the soup would go like 30 times a week and it went down to once. And I was like, wow. this is gonna end very quickly. And, wow. uh, and then it was, then it was, it was, yeah, I, I was, very, even though, you know, when you don't get something or something goes away, no matter what, like you, it still pisses you off and you're demoralized from it a bit. And, uh, Absolutely. yeah. And I, you know, like I was very happy doing it. And, um, and then community ended that same, that same year. Uh, and I used to see you at Paramount cause you were doing the real husbands, I think. Yes. That's what we were doing around this. But I, you know, like coming down, I'm going to compliment you. I learned something from you, which was you can wear a winter hat indoors <laughs> whenever you want, and you won't get too warm as long as you keep the temperature. Of the room I don't pull them all the way down. Low. I don't pull them all the way down, man. I, these are little beanies. Sure. You know what's funny? The name of them are little beanies. <laughs> That's why I buy them. They're called little beanies, Joe. I'm surprised you have to buy them. Uh, I'm assuming. Saying little beanies now, you're, there's going to be a parachute with a crate dropped onto your home. Well, I knew you would take the bait and say something, and that gave me an effortless plug and approach to get there. So now, little beanies, well, guess what? We're in business, baby. That, Man, little beanies. <laughs> very good. But I learned from you, never fucking stop. And I'm not kidding. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if it's healthy absolutely. or not, but I was just like, the there's never waiting around for anything. That's what I was going to ask you, right? Like when you 12 years, here's the, here's the good and the bad with that. It's scary, right? Yep. 12 years of the same thing would scare me because you fall, you fall into such a routine. Yeah. And, and there's such a, you know, a high level of consistency with expectation. My checks come here. I show up here. I speak to the receptionist here. We do our rights, table reads, writers, everybody here. And it's like, okay, wow, this is it. And for 12 years, if I'm in this machine and then somebody just cuts the machine off, there is a moment of, wait, what the fuck am I supposed to do now? Mm -hmm. Right? And, and that's, that's how you're, that's how, you know, a lot of the talent in this town gets rocked yeah. because some of these talent, they were in TV shows for years. Uh, some of them not even years, maybe a couple years, but they assumed that this is now life and they don't understand how fast these things come to an end. It, it happens, snap of a finger, yep. it's over, yep. right? It's done. Um, and I think that that's something I've always had in the back of my head 
as a reason to just make sure you got a lot of things in a pot. Like I don't like how much, how many pots can I have going at the same time? I don't, I don't want to just have one because if somebody knocked that pot over, I got to start all over. Like what the fuck? Like that's, it's just been more of a fear. And I think that's the, um, that's the big thing about comedy and what it gives us. It gives us a, it gives us a great, a great third leg to stand on. Oh yeah. You got three legs, right? And, uh, that's a big deal in this business. A fourth leg. If you're counting the size of my penis, Joe, we were on such a, yes. good, we were on such a good fucking run. I mean, it was like literally getting to a space to where we're making it all make sense. We're, we're like, we're laying the groundwork. We're following your fucking journey. And mm-hmm. as we're, as we're talking about just mm-hmm. having the wherewithal to want to do more Right, you you throw in a dick joke. Like basically, I was segueing into you not giving up, not quitting, and wanting to do more. And you throw in a fucking dick joke. You proud of yourself, Joe? I got lost. Uh, I forget where we were because I felt like that dick joke landed. And uh, I think a lot of people are still like. You think they're laughing? You feel like uh, a lot of people. They're still, you think they're still going crazy? They're yeah. Still- no, I. After you, know, but you're right in that. So like after the soup was over, community's over. Really, nothing was going on, and I hit the road. Community was big though. Before we go to you hitting the road, you can't just skip past community. Community was was big. Well, community became big uh, strangely in the last three years, and it, at the time it was a definite fan mm-hmm. like cult favorite. Uh, but it was never Modern Family or Glee, which was what we were always up against. The NBC and the Sonys were always like, well, you know, George Clooney, he guest starred on Modern Family. Who do you guys have? They're like, we got Jack Black for one day. And they were like, oh, that's good. But I mean, George Clooney was there for a week. And uh, well, Jack Black, he's like, and they're like, oh, yeah, he's great. But one day, one day. And he's kind of friends with Dan Holman. But that was just a favor. Uh, but yeah, no, believe me. Yes. That was why during the soup, when community, the opportunity came up, cause I did a few other pilots that did not go. I didn't want to quit the soup while I was doing community. Nice. So I did both. I, I literally would say things like I would Kevin Hart this thing and do both at once and I'll sleep at some point, Fuck yeah. but yeah, maybe in a year or two, I'll finally lie on a pillow and sleep for four hours. But I was like, I was so happy. I was like, yes, this is what I've always wanted. And it's happening and it's happening all at once. And I'm like, fine, just keep it coming and I'll figure it out. And that's kind of the attitude because I enjoy it so much. I love acting. I love the comedy. I love doing it. I'm like, I don't ever want it to stop. Sure. My family's like, calm down. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, when when I I remember seeing you at Paramount, I'm like, you were doing the reality show while yeah. you were like you had like two movies out and i was like yeah that's that's how you you're i think you're right about the point of like so many actors or whatever think that oh i got on a show i'll be here for seven mm-hmm. years and that is so rare that is like seeing lightning strike twice in the same spot it doesn't just happen. doesn't happen it doesn't happen it really does not happen man i'm i'm like i truly do feel like what you're saying is not only valid, but the 
proof is in the the reality of of you and like what what you've been through. I mean, twelve years on the show is unheard of. It's unheard of. It just it it really doesn't happen. Like when you look at these law and orders, and you look at the I don't even know the name SUV SUV and all, yeah. like these shows CSI, CSI SUV. I mean, dude, that it doesn't happen. That's like yeah. it it doesn't happen, which is why they hold on to them and they they they'll keep doing. But those actors and actresses are part of a very very small percentage of this business, and that that it's just very rare. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert, and I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. For you to do community, I think it's smart as fuck while you're in it. But goddamn, you know, the world of community was a crazy one because of the personnel you were around. Uh, I'm not a big fan on um, talking on people, gossiping on people. I never have been. But I am curious to know about uh mr chase right because like it's such a comedy icon such a a legend right but yeah you know i know during that show there was the ups and downs of just you know we're dealing with mr chase and and yeah. that world of whatever the fuck that came with uh did that play a toll on you at any part oh well you know i don't think it's any secret now that and i think chevy would admit it that he was not necessarily the easiest person to deal with mm-hmm. uh and then he would go fuck you and uh uh but the guy you know like i don't think it's a secret anymore because people are like what's i hear he's a little difficult and i'm like no he's very difficult and uh there could be moments where he was great but uh he, he i think mostly he didn't really want to be there pulling those hours mm-hmm. and the hours were really bad but he he um yeah i don't know if you've ever worked with him or met him but uh he just he just did an interview for cbs where he was like they asked him they were like do you think people say that you're difficult to work with and he was just like i don't care what the fuck they say i'm happy with myself i'm like all right well (laughs) uh i mean i would joke around with him but i mean i would fight him we we kind of fought physically a number of times uh because he always was wanting to roughhouse a little bit more than a little harder than you should and then i'd have to put him on the ground and that was a and he'd be like, fuck you, I put you on the ground. So uh, he, yeah, so he was, he, he didn't he like, oh yeah, well, that happened a lot. And I was like, I'm I'm wrestling Art Griswold right now. And uh, I can't believe it. I can't believe I have Fletch in a chokehold. So, um, that was, you know, and and I, I, I've always been all, all the cast members. I was like, well, you know, Chevy's being Chevy, and we're all like, oh boy. And sometimes he could because when you watch the show, he's so funny. He's so funny, uh, but like he didn't like to do off camera and stuff like that. And I, you know, I was very excited to be working with a hero, and uh, uh, but he, he, you know, he just he did not like the hours. He didn't want to be there and i so yeah it was <laughs> there were moments was there were moments where you felt like you lost sight of the fact that you're working with this legend 
Like, oh yeah, yeah, you know, oh, where, yeah. Where that was thrown to the side. Then you, yeah. then you play a version of him. Uh, yeah, a movie. Uh, what was it? It was called uh, a few times. A few stupid gesture about um, the guy that created the two guys that created um, the National Lampoon, mm-hmm. which became a gigantic uh, success in the seventies. And then this guy named Kenny, he invented it, and he wrote. Uh, Animal House, wow. and he wrote uh, Caddyshack, and then he he fell off a cliff after, literally fell off a cliff in, in Hawaii, high on cocaine, and this whole empire just uh, went away. And uh, so it's about him. He was kind of the Hamilton of comedy for white people in the seventies. Wow. He Holy just shit. out of nowhere invented this thing with his partner, and. Um, and they they made this empire happen, and that's where SNL. They, there was a thing called the the Lemmings that all like all the SNL folks were part of it. All the first SNL folks and uh, Lauren Michaels got all those people, and Chevy was a part of it. Uh, John Belushi and all those guys were there, and um, and it was just this time of really wild comedy. And and David Wayne directed this great. I think it's a great movie, and. Uh, I played Chevy because I was the right size. Holy shit. Yeah. It's it's yep. it's it's crazy because at that time he was known as the guy that cracked the code. He cracked the code on a on a certain type of comedy. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you know, it, it's almost like, you know, when you when you think about it now, you think about our generations, I think certain people are responsible for for different versions of comedy that was that was being presented, right? You know, like Judd Apatow yeah. stands out to me because Judd had a very specific type of comedy that he's responsible for. And the movies that he was developing um, were very clear to be Judd Apatow type movies, right? And when you, you yeah. know, you can go look at the Farley Brothers, you can go down, like there's so many other people that you can attach to different types of fucking comedy that were that were cracking the codes. Um, and his is definitely legendary. Yeah, and I think that time in the 70s had so many from the, you know, you, you got you had Richard Pryor coming up. You had Steve Martin, obviously Chevy. You had uh, obvi- uh, Bill Cosby. Uh, he was coming out, and you had these just these gigantic, these, these huge stars coming out, and uh, who were changing comedy from this what was the comedy of the '60s, and uh, and you know the Robin Williamses, and those mm-hmm. were all my heroes, you know, and mm-hmm. and they all they all and and they really changed the business and obviously Chevy was the high Chevy and Eddie Murphy were the highest paid comedy stars of the eighties. Who, who is your, uh, like if you, if you had to give me three, where, where, where do you place your three? Where are your three? Three of the three of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. I would say Dwayne Johnson. No, we're talking stand up uh, comedy, Joel. Oh, sorry. Stand up comedy, stand up comedy. Uh, the guy from ride along, and not you. Wait, and, Ice Cube? Uh, Ice Cube's not a... He's so great. He's, Very funny. He's not a comic, Joel. That's funny. ridiculous. We're, we're talking about okay. comics, man. And uh, then I think Will Ferrell's performance in Get Hard just was so... Riveting. Overpowering. Yeah, I mean, just... Uh, boy, I remember seeing... So, boy, I, I was a lover of Monty Python. Okay. Uh, I wore out my Bill Cosby records until they broke. Wow. I mean, I listened to that Why Is There Air album 
Intel, it fell apart. Absolutely. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, like seeing Steve Martin movies and then seeing Richard Pryor's live on the Sunset Strip, I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know what just happened. Uh, so um, those were, but I remember seeing Monty Python just going like, oh, those guys kind of look like my dad, but they're being ridiculous all the time. Mm-hmm. And that was really that was really a revelation for me. Do we talk about Steve Martin and his and his greatness enough? Do you feel like do you feel like it's talked about enough, Steve Martin as a as a comedian? I think people forget what he he was basically filling the Rose Bowls. Mm-hmm. I mean, like in the seventies, he was selling out baseball mm-hmm. stadiums. Like he's doing he's doing what you know. Like I know that uh, Gabriel Iglesias is doing Dodger Stadium. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, and you did uh, in Philadelphia, right? You did uh, the link, the yeah. link financial. So that, so imagine instead, there's eight billion people on this planet now, and in 1976 there was three and a half, and he was filling 45,000 seat venues. Insane. And I think people don't probably don't appreciate what he was pulling off, and then walked away yeah he was just like i'm gonna go do movies and play and get go get a bunch of grammys to play uh band to play my banjo and uh he's did the thing that you were talking about which is like when you get comfortable on something and something's working and then that stops you're like whoa what's gonna happen he just was like no i'm moving on to the next one yeah and i think donald glover did the same thing when he left community he was like i got a plan and everyone was like you're crazy you're on a show that's working and i was like i got a plan and uh it worked out didn't he leave didn't uh didn't donald leave like it was it was just conversation as to what was going on with him at the time right because i remember at the time they were like it was like tweets that could have been like dark tweets or like he it was weird because nobody really knew what was going on and then at that then it went to the side of artistry mm-hmm. and and it then became about the art but there was a lull of like personal and then it went to like art and then he left and then all of a sudden childish gambino holy fuck and now then Atlanta and then childish gambino and Lando Calrissian and Star Wars and yeah it's like he, he you know he he his journey is kind of dope because you know there's so much that was unclear there's so many things that um weren't answered that i know uh people probably have questions about about that that phase that he went through um while doing community and then leaving community and what obviously was the best decision for him yeah because then he went and focused on these other things where he was able to flourish and and elevate himself and his career so you know, I, I think that's dope when people have the the mindset and the wherewithal to do those things. It's pretty fucking special, man. Yeah, I, to walk in my, in my mind, in which shows you that I'm much more insecure. I'm like, this thing's working. We should keep doing this thing that's working. It's happening. And sure, we should all do other things, but this thing is great. It's happening. And uh, he was like, nah. And it, you know, Gambino was coming up, and yeah, there was a little bit of like. A, there were some tweets that went out with some uh, handwritten uh, stuff on like a hotel mm-hmm. hotel paper. And mm-hmm. I remember going like, hey, man, I texted him. I was like, hey, man, are you OK? And it was pretty dark. And he was just like he wrote back, put it on the soup, exclamation point as a joke. 
And I'm like, oh, I think he's going to be okay. <laughs> he's going to be just fine. He's, oh, he's, oh, he's okay. There's yeah, no problem at all. But he definitely, you know, like our fourth season was rough. And I say rough, not as in rough as we were digging ditches and having to swing hammers and stuff like that. It was rough in that Dan Harmon wasn't there. And uh, we, you know, we were a bit rudderless. We still had the cast, but, you know, he was like, to his credit, he was like, this is how it's going to be. And he was kind of like, I'm out. You know, Chevy kind of lost his mind that season and mm-hmm. said some pretty inappropriate things. And uh, and then, you know, we ended up getting Dan back. But I think for Donald, the train had left. It's and- kind of a kind of a kind of a whirlwind um, story. Just a community like there's a story in that story alone. If you yep. guys ever decided to tell it right. Like the the show is actually within the show of what you guys we're dealing with like that's that's the show joe that's your show that, that's what you should take and really develop because the, the characters um that went off to do big things i mean you the stars you guys had a lot of stars in that show you had a lot yeah. of like people that work and still work in in this town but yeah. because of the you know the world of chevy chase and just what you guys are dealing with um, there's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot to be told. Yeah. If if is you there, ever wanted to unfold that, fuck yeah, that's that's a story. That's a great. A whole, story. I can write a book. Will you write the forward? That's a listen. That's a great story, man. Like you yeah. know the 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 inside world of community as a show is a fucking great idea. Yeah, I should. It's a great uh, idea. I should capitalize on that, but then I yes. It. Yes. See, this is where what you is, would actually. This is where you would actually capitalize on it. You hire somebody. And then I would go like, I'm going to go to the gym and then shoot. I got a crack in my windshield. I got to take care of that. I got to get that. I, I got to go play to... Call of Duty for at least half an hour. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's 11 o'clock. <laughs> I have to ask you, and I know you've been asked a bunch of times, but is there somebody is, have, did you get to, like, I got to do a scene with Steve Martin in this movie that nobody saw, but I was just mm-hmm. like, <laughs> mm-hmm. And he came to my stand-up show after that. Uh, is there somebody who you were like, this is my hero, and now I'm working with my hero? You know what, man? Um, I'll say Chris Rock is a is a very big he's a he's a huge part of like my comedy career without knowing how much of an impact he's had on it. Mm. Like we're very close. We're we're extremely close friends, but as a comic, his rise was like it was grounded. It was real, right? Like like you know, Eddie's was like, oh man, that's never going. Oh shit, who can fuck this guy? Is just a, I mean, holy, it's you know, yeah. it's not even that's not even capable like, to even think that anybody could right. do with Eddie. Yeah, Chris's was. It was so blood, sweat, tears, feet to the ground. Saturday Night Live, busting his ass, never really got like the crazy features or highlight from the show, but writing, busting his ass, doing what the fuck he can, and, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, stand up every night, trying to figure the fuck out, writing, busting his ass, busting his ass. Um, And then bring the pain. Then bring the pain came. Then bring the pain. he's, he's, He's a stand up. He's a stand-up success, and stand-up brought the rest of the success, but he's a stand-up success, and that shit, 
that shit played such a major impact and role in me going back to comedy when I was in LA waiting for auditions. And it's like, well, what the fuck is going to happen? Like, I need to go and and do stand up, get a get a, get a fan base, and and build that shit until it can't be built no more. And after Bring the Pain, you know, when you look at his career after that, well, it's like the world was just like, who's this guy? This is the guy. And then, you know, the jobs and the work, it was still him. He was behind the creatives. He was behind writing. He was figuring it out. And that, like, that's always stuck with me, man. And, you know, I, I got to say him, Eddie, of course, just because of what the fuck he was able to achieve. Yeah, but he was Eddie, on SNL like, when he was 17. I mean, Yeah, that, like, that's nuts. It does, it, that's nuts. like Mozart. You can't, you can't, it's one of those career paths that you can't go, ah, I'll be on SNL when I'm 17. You're like, yeah, you sure. It'll never happen. It'll never happen. I remember when Bring the Pain moved, that moved the needle because it was all of a sudden it was like, what, what, what? Yeah, but that's the guy on SNL and now he's just an hour and 10 minutes of destruction. Oh my God. Couldn't, oh I mean, people, like, I was like, go back and examine that for how to do it. And the only, like the, the only career I can compare it to when you have someone like Bruce Willis who was on Moonlighting, which was a popular show. And then I remember even seeing the articles were like, yeah, he's going to be in this diehard show. This he's going to be an action hero, and we're like, what? No, that guy, the the guy who's doing like little quips in a romantic comedy TV series that's not that popular. It's okay, but I mean, there's like, oh no, he's going to be the biggest star on the planet, and it just went up. Oh, that's what we're doing now. That's it. That's it. And with really with Chris Rock, it was like he's the guy now. And then you didn't? Did you know him when Bring the Pain came out? No, no. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, we've talked about, I told him all of this stuff, of course, to date, but I'm saying like back then, that was the, like, that was, a, it was just a flawless stand-up special. That was a pure definition of hard work paying off. Yeah. Hard work paying off. That's, that's, that's what I see when I watch that. Yes, he's talented. Yes, he's funny. But those jokes were so crisp, so clear, so fucking, so vetted out, prepped worked reworked that set has been hammered to the nine like that that fucking set moved yeah. and i mean that's that's what i took from it so i would i would have to say him then of course uh eddie man but you know i yeah. i i think for the conversation that we have had and that that we're having man just the thing that i'm taking away from it is just the mindset to to just not be content when when that plate of content is put in front of you, yeah. right? That, that like you're giving the plate to eat from and go, I can eat this every day. Right. And there's, yeah. when you do that, you don't ask, well, what else are they, what else are they cooking? Or is there, are they making anything else back there? Like when you get that plate, you forget to ask about other options or what else. Yeah. You know, this chef Curtis stone, I know he is. Uh, I don't know him personally, but yes, I, know I, I do a cooking show with him. And I was like, how the hell did you do this? And he was like, well, mate, uh, you know, he just started working and he's Australian and he started working for Gordon Ramsay for free in London. Like he flew wow. himself there, started working for free. And I was like, how the fuck? He did the same thing that comedians and actors do in someone like you who he was just like, oh, no, there's going to be Curtis Stone like cookware wow. in 10 years. And like, there it is. And like he sends me pasta makers. And I was like, that guy was just working for free as a sous chef and washing dishes 
cut to this, like the Curtis Stone Plaza. And I know that we hear these, what I hate, it was like, well, if you just do these easy steps, uh, then you'll get there too. And here's a book on how to do it. Here's nine different motivational shit. And I was like, what it just comes down to is working your ass off every day. And, yeah. and it's not like, I don't know if, I don't think, I don't think, like I saw you, your really good post about waking up at 4.15 to work out, which I was pissed and jealous about because I'm like, I can't do that. Uh, I have to wait at least until 5.15. Uh, no, but, uh, but I was like, yeah, that's what, that's what it fucking takes. Yeah. And, uh, and it, could, it doesn't mean you need to wake up and be like, I'm, gonna, I'm motivated to do this, this, and this, and here are my seven rules to being a successful person. It's like, no, I, it, it's, I'm gonna write a fart joke and this fart joke is going to be on stage in three days, so it better be a good fart joke. There you go, there you go, Joe. Man, I, I, I know, I know, we joke around a lot, man, and I don't ever want that to change because you're, you're one of the good guys, you're one of the real ones. But I have a tremendous amount of respect for you already. But after this conversation, even more, man. You know, like just when you, when you really know uh, the road and journey that people have taken, just it just opens up your eyes just to understand them a little bit more. And I hope. I hope my listeners, um, you know, have had the same takeaway that I have, man, is that you're, you're, you're witnessing a guy, listening to a guy that, that has wanted it since he was seven, eight years old and, and knew what he wanted to do, and there was no plan B. Um, no plan B. Plan, plan A was there from the get-go, and that's a dope-ass thing to chase your fucking dream at that young of age and, and get there. And Joe, you know, shout out to your wife, right? For yeah. fucking going and, and, and staying true to the guy that had the dream right. and, and, and still being a part of it as well. You, my friend, are dope as fuck, man. Uh, the success you have, you definitely deserve. Mm -hmm. And I hate to say it, but I, I hope you get more of it. I hate that. Uh, see, I the compliments are not, I'm, I'm rendered I powerless. I, I just said I hate it, but it's, you know, it's the podcast. I'll see your person, I'll trash you. One last thing I'll say about you, Mr. Kevin Hart, and this could be a compliment again. This is it's just, we're just end up getting married ourselves, but through all your freaking success and you know, people like this, for some reason, you are one of the ones that remained kind. And you were the one that like make, just, literally just making eye contact and going, how are you doing? That does not happen as much as you think when people reach these crazy upper echelons of success and they, their shit doesn't sink anymore. It tastes like ice cream. And you somehow through this empire, this aircraft carrier you've built underneath yourself still are like, Hey man, how's it going? What's up? How are you doing? And I'm just, that doesn't, there's so many guys that have done well that are like, not even in that don't do anything like that. And, uh, and so that the success there too, like, be nice to everybody you have you know the guys that are dicks because their mm -hmm. reputations get around and your reputation everywhere i go i'll always go like who are the dicks they will list usually around the same people and i was like who's great and kevin hart is always on that list my god and that alone to me i'm just like oh right because at the end of my life i'm like it could go great i could have a really nice house and nice cars and all that crap and things go okay but i was like did 
was I a dick? And people are like, fuck that guy and never want to work with him again. And that yeah. is a huge accomplishment, what, what you did to be kind to people. I mean, I still don't understand why you were in that Fast and Furious move, the Hobbs and Shaw thing. Oh, I don't I oh, can't figure it out. I don't, but uh, see what I did there? I had to buy it all back. <laughs> I had to it back the end. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Comedy Gold Minds. You know what we do? We get inside the minds of brilliant comedians or comedic minds in general. And oh my God, what amazing minds they are. And today, unfortunately, well, it was no different. Uh, Joe, what? I was going to trash you, but I said it was no different, Joe. Way to give the people a fucking dose of greatness. Um, guys, listen. He is who he is. He will be who he will be. Um, granted, will you see him in movies soon or, or you know, as a best-selling author or, you know, like a, an arena tour, global, something like that? No, but, but... Oh. But what you will do is fucking read his blog. Joel, tell these people where they can check out your blog. I don't have a blog. Oh. I don't have a blog. I have a website that has like oh. tour dates. Don't worry, I'll cut that out. Do you do you wanna you wanna shout out tour what? dates? You can do that then. I thought you had a blog. If you wanna All shout right, out I'm tour playing, dates. <laughs> I'm playing um Philadelphia. Uh, no, uh, I'm on a thing called Star Girl coming yes, out yes, in the summer. Yes, you do. How dare you? <laughs> Prime Scene Kitchen coming back with Curtis Stone and Yolanda Gam. Yes. And a movie called California King. You'll see. That's right. And then I made the uh, the uh, the sequel to The Upside, and uh, really excited. Uh, really excited. You will never not it's work, called, Joe. Uh, it's called The Next Chair, and uh, it's really great. You will never not work. Just remember, I told you that you will never not work. You're too good. That man. sounds like a threat. No, it's not. It's just because you're too fucking good. I love you, dude. And I don't say that. I really do mean that. Love you, Chad. I appreciate you, man. Thanks for being so cool to me, man. For real. Comedy Gold Mines is a serious XM and LOL audio production. Executive produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, and Eric Weil. With Tastemakers Media, Emil Garner, and Ian McDonald. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert, and I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle, follow your crave.